Hey everyone, Fab here. Just a quick note about today's episode. Uh, this is actually an old episode that was never published. Uh, it dates from pre-COVID times. Uh, but with the whole craziness that happened, uh, I actually, it kind of got forgotten. Uh, that's not to say it's not an important episode. This was actually a really interesting episode. Paul and I dive deep again into the concept of customer journey and whatnot uh, with our super, 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 super special guest, Alki. She runs a firm that does that with a lot of large companies. Uh, this is a really, really super interesting episode. So I hope you enjoyed as much as we enjoyed recording it. And we'll talk to you soon. Hi, everybody. Huh? Oh, hi, Sam. <laughs> hey, Paul. <laughs> today we have another guest. We have a special guest today. Very, very happy. I hope I see your new world. Elkie Steinwein. Good job. That's uh, perfect. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention that. I'm really bad with names. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's a lot easier. It's it's a lot easier when you see it than you actually say it. So yes, it's, it's true. It's true. Because I saw it. Actually, when Dimitri first easier. told me about you, he, all he said was Elkie. He didn't give yeah. me your last name. He didn't warn me about your last name. I always, yeah. <laughs> the first name's easy. It's just four letters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So thank you for being here, Elkie. Thank you. You have your own company. Yeah. I'm not even going to dare try to pronounce the name of your company. Could you tell us how to yeah, pronounce it? Yeah, it's worse than my name. <laughs> and it's called Meutics. Okay. And what Meutic is, is the Socratic philosophy that says within you, you have the answers to all questions. You just have to ask the right questions, which is actually oh, the name of your podcast. I love it. Nice. Right? This is our best guest ever. <laughs> Sorry, everyone else. <laughs> so um, I think that we hit it off when we had met the first time because yeah. I think we have a bit the same outlook on on asking the right questions, yeah. on putting you know the customer at the heart of it. and. Yeah. Um, just a, as a parenthesis, did you guys know that today is International Radio Day? I did no. not, but I did it, see your LinkedIn post on that. Exactly. So, so it's like we're doing a podcast. Well, it's International like, Radio Day. Yeah, awesome. Unfortunately, it only get published in like four weeks or something. But <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's the moment now. Okay, that's so, good. That's the cool thing. So uh, a bit, yeah, we were talking a bit off air about what got me into this and why I'm I'm doing what I'm doing. So like my personal journey is 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 kind of long and we can get there if we want to, but that's that's interesting. I mean, t tell us about I mean, you know, tell us about the journey. Yeah. Uh, you know, summarize as much as you want, but explain to us how your personal personal journey got got, got you here as, as an entrepreneur. Or maybe tell us quickly what your company does first. Okay. So, essentially what Meutic does is we help companies reinvent reinvent the customer experience okay. and why we, we position that I have really everybody on the team has either a marketing branding marketing research background we're, okay. we're marketers okay. and why we took the angle of customer experience uh -huh. is that I fundamentally believe that Marketing has changed. I mean, if you're a sales guy, you know, the whole sales funnel has yeah. completely changed over the last years. How you use podcasts, social media, and have completely changed the relationship that customers have with the brand, have with a product, have with, I mean, you just look at it when you as me, you know, you're in the store and you kind of look at what the product is, what are different alternatives. Yeah. If you're B2B or B2C, I think that the customer's taken control over the a, large, really, part of the a large part of their journey. They're masters of their journey. I want to yeah. ask you something on that because yeah. I know Fab and I had a conversation about this not long ago. And can you tell me specifically about that? Because as a salesperson, when I yep. started 30 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, the buyer's journey was a lot shorter. Yep. So can you tell me a little bit more? Go a little deeper into that. What, how, do you, how do you feel that's changed, that, that client journey? Well, shorter is a um, a relative term, right? Because as, as a salesperson, you embark on that journey when they're kind of ready to buy unless you're in a pure hunting situation, yes. right? Yeah. So it, longer or shorter is, is a relative term depending okay. on the customer's starting point yes. with, within mm -hmm. that. Good point. But yeah. it's kind of um, where I say the consumer's taken power is that before I interact with a salesperson, I want to have an understanding of 
what my need is, right? So the whole research part of it is often done. There's less education from a sales perspective. A sales perspective is really more about let me understand that this product, you know, version A, B, or C is the best for you. You're 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 personalizing more once you get into the sales, you know, one yep. human to human process. Whereas marketing has become a lot more. Let me understand your need okay. as a customer. Let me understand why you're having the challenge that you're having, and let's contextualize that challenge within your business. So let me understand you, customer, so that we can put our product in relation to your solution okay. or your challenge and whatnot. So I think the information gathering where I say the relationship has changed is that customers are looking towards company to help them understand and articulate sometimes their need. What is your product compared to another product? Can I understand? And a great example is Progressive. Okay. Progressive insurance. It is B2B, but I okay. often do B2C, B2C examples because yeah. everybody gets it. Is that you go online and you can enter and here's all the competition. Right, so they showcase exactly. Here's us. Yeah. Here's our advantages. Here's, here's what the competition does, okay. the competition does and you choose. So yeah. they're really giving the customer the choice, the choice, yeah. and the understanding, so that they can contextualize within and this their is own an actual reality. Insurance company that gives you the option to go somewhere else, or it's progressive. Wow. It's progressive. It is progressive. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's how their business yeah. model okay. is. So they're a broker for all those insurance companies yep. that you choose from. Nope. They just, just they just wow. Yeah, they're That's like the pretty, impact. Wow. It's bold. It is bold. Right? So they've decided Are to they change. Well? They're doing they're huge. They're one of the right. biggest in the state. So really? they've decided to change their relationship with their customers and say, here's what we do really yeah. well. Choose us or not, yeah. but here's your other options. Okay. Right? So that is changing the relationship yeah. that you have with the customer and say... And if I could just jump yeah, in two seconds, because okay. you were saying, like, oh, that's gutsy, but it, it really isn't, because the reality is that's what the customer's doing anyway, right? <laughs> they have, like, ten tabs open, yeah. and they're all yeah. on the pricing page of yeah. all the insurance So you may as well have them on your site while they're doing it. And yeah. then you know when they leave yeah. and where yeah. they're going yeah. through. Yeah. You're, exactly. you're clicking them. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's actually brilliant. And then it helps you build, like, you know why they're leaving too, to a certain extent. You when they're leaving so and why they're them. leaving, yeah. and to yeah. what competitor they're yeah. going. Yeah. yeah. So you know more. You're, you're you're way more in control of the market. That's brilliant. So it's it it's is brilliant. Give by giving control, <laughs> you're gaining control as well because you're getting yeah. a better understanding yeah. of your customer. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm like where did we where did we all start with this? So kind of yes. <laughs> the, the why of the business is that customers changed. The whole environment has changed, and if you are looking to grow your business, what is the relationship that you want to have? How do yeah. you want to integrate into a new customer experience? Yeah. So how do you want to create that and understand it? So what we do is we do a lot of research surveys, uh, artificial intelligence tools to understand the outside market, and then we help you map the ideal customer journey. Okay. So if I'm a B2B client, yep. uh, to really, I want to. I want to sort of make it very simple, very yep. layman's terms. I'm a B2B company. I have about $100 million revenue a year. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what who my client is, why they're buying from us. So you'll come in. Easiest way to start is yeah. let's look at, because you're an established company, yep. you already have a client base. <clears throat> let's do a customer survey. Let's understand why your customers are working with you, okay. what part of the wallet share they go to other competitors, okay. And what needs these other competitors are fulfilling? Okay. Why do they like you? What do they not like about you? Okay. And then from there, it's um, it's a great way to see what do we need to improve? Okay. What is the journey that that customer is taking at the moment? Mm. And what is what is his perfect journey? Because okay. they're going to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And then what is your current journey okay. that you're doing? What's the gap between the two? Yeah. And oftentimes in established companies... They have business units, and those business units view their customer silos. in silos. Mm. And those silos, you're leaving money on the table. Yeah. That's wallet share that you're not getting. And it's 
I mean, they were created for the great reason of efficiency yeah. and being as great as you want. And often if you're in a B2B business, products are complicated. You need to have certain expertise, but the customer just has one brand experience. They mm-hmm. don't see, you yeah. know, yeah. department A or department B. I'm just calling mm-hmm. company yeah. X. Yeah. So yeah. that's often the biggest challenge that we okay. see in those types of companies. How do we get a hundred percent wallet share? And it's, you know, that's where the marketing and the sales merge together. Yeah. Whereas marketing is often seen as your SEO, your SEM, your website, your social media, but it's also how do you look at that customer as a whole customer and what wallet share are you getting from what department? So Paul and I have different views of the client. He sees the client as, you know, how do I get that person to sign into, to close the deal, to accelerate the sales funnel? I look at what's the value of the customer over its lifetime and how how much money of that overall value am I getting as a company and how much can I go get as a more and who are those who is that client and can I get more of them? So so there's a few things I wanted to say, so I'll try to remember everything. But um <laughs> on that last point that you just said, we'll go backwards. Yeah. Um what I find interesting and, and I would like Paul to maybe chime in if if possible. Uh, just because we've been talking about CRMs a lot. Um, And what I've noticed for the past, uh, and it's been going on for a while, let's say five years type of thing, a lot of CRMs are trying to incorporate a lot of a person, a contacts, a prospect uh, activity online. So they'll like kind of, you know, automatically pull in their LinkedIn profile, obviously all the things they've engaged in. Yeah, social CRMs and everything they've done with your, on your website and stuff like that. Um, But at the same time, when I, because I work with a lot of salespeople, being a B2B marketer for way too long now. And I realized that most salespeople don't care. And so is it that the tool is just not giving you the right information? Is it that salespeople are having a hard time adapting? Is it, I don't know how to I you... have a view. I'm looking forward to your oh, okay. view. So, so <laughs> it's interesting you say that because I think Sorry. the salesperson, let's, get, let's sort of generalize. The salesperson today is looking is, is looking to fulfill the behavior his employer is generating. So he's being paid. That salesperson is being paid on a certain behavior. Mm-hmm. The, the social CRM, that reality is not as connected to that short-term, you said it before, that short-term, we'll call it short-term, I mean like a year, six yep. months, three months funnel, as it may be in a long-term customer journey of mm-hmm. understanding the person there's 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 much it's much more i want to go uh i want to go dancing with you tomorrow mm-hmm. rather than i'm interested in understanding what makes you dance at all and i want to consider dancing with you in 10 years from now that salesperson want needs that more immediate gratification because he's he is um I believe he is remunerated in that immediate gratification. So if you wanted that behavior to be different, all you have to do is change the remuneration. It sounds silly, but that's... Yeah, go for it. it Also, in the sense that in in that same vein of instant gratification, if that's what you want to call it, is the... Well, imposed instant gratification. Imposed. Imposed. Instant gratification is the idea of I don't have time necessarily to chunk through the implications of what all that data means. Mm-hmm. So in a perfect world is that those, those um, and, and something that we do is you look at all the data and how do you transpose it into a, a dashboard that here's the persona and that's where you mix in. So this person based on their behavior is doing these types of things. Like if they have that data, uh, Mashui or, or so organized, if, if they can do that in, in actionable into, item, yeah. then they'll yeah. take action Correct. on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so, why I was thinking sometimes I feel the tools are, you know, they act as fire hoses, like look at all the stuff they've been doing. But then yeah. it's, I think for a salesperson who's there and, you know, remunerated or not, like the reality is like you need to close sales and you need to, you know, I don't think any company is like, hey, you've not analyzed somebody's Twitter account. That's great. We should. But it's also habits. I think we're living in a time where, you know, CRMs have been around, good CRMs have been around for 10 years, let's say. Um, And and really easy and and general access to CRMs probably in in the last five years. 
So it's still a pretty new thing. So mm. I believe that that generation of salespeople who are using CRMs, a lot of them were in a pre-CRM world. Right. So and there often, needs to be that change. Yeah. And yeah. If we go back to my background in, in university, I did a double major in management information systems and marketing, which is database management. Right. And I needed a special. I'm not that. I'm not that old. I needed a <laughs> special uh, authorization because they're like, "What are you? You're in marketing. What are you going to do with databases?" Wow, I was like, oh, wow. wow. That's amazing. <laughs> and I'm not that old. No, you're not. That's right. You're only 26 years old. Exactly. <laughs> people are going to look on my LinkedIn and shit. I'm 26. And um, so there's also the notion that marketers have also changed. Like, yeah. I've been, yeah. had my business for eight That's years now. That's a great point. I love it. Yeah. I've been in business for eight years now. And when my first job was in, in customer service, I took a, a, a position. I was managing a, a call center. Yeah. So when all the marketing promises were broken, <laughs> like we had to, so I have a different, but the role of a marketer in my first marketing job was really about your sales and your advertising and, you know, push marketing mm-hmm. and then internet, which, which we're saying taking over control is that company, individuals, whether it's B2B or B2C can go look online and get all the information. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the marketers role has now turned towards pushing information out, blogs and blog posts and podcasts, (laughs) you know, all these things and AdWords. So the whole relationship between sales and marketing has changed. And a lot of time marketers at first, and a lot of companies I still see, the role of marketing is to push leads to sales. Yeah. Whereas... We like that. We like that. And it's great. And it is one version of it but if you don't understand your customer you're pushing the wrong you're pushing the wrong leads to sales and then that's they're like i want i want to press pause on that that's exactly remember you're asking a few weeks ago we're talking about all the qualified leads yeah but this is this is actually the perfect answer because if you don't understand that person it can go a lot further in qualifying your your potential lead in that world if you have that information that's i love that yeah and one of the things I used to do when I was, you know, working, now I'm not working, I'm just an entrepreneur, <laughs> probably working more, but that's yeah. a whole other story. Yeah, your life is, your, your work is your life. Yeah, yeah, is that I'd go out on sales call or I'd call clients and I'd see the reality of the sales person so that you see that, you know, I have my little folder and the little folder doesn't talk at all to the person. I have to change that as the marketer. And the leads that you have and there's like a pavilion who who didn't have a database in the first you know crms that didn't have like five thousand people in there and who am i going to call right mm-hmm. so the idea of marketing also in the role is to segment segment it's like marketing 101 but it's even more relevant now because there's so many leads coming in from so many sources mm-hmm. integrated everything in but that doesn't help necessarily the salesperson or the business say what do I focus on? Mm-hmm. And that's where the data, the research is super key and important so that you understand, here's my ideal customer. Here's what my actual database looks like and how much of those do I really have? Mm-hmm. And how much of those do my marketing ever yeah. need to push in? And where are my salespeople focusing on? So that's a bit, I think that marketing and sales have to work even more closely yeah. together than they ever did in the yeah. past. Um, I'm not saying that's what they do, but I'm just saying that's, they I think yeah. Yeah. that's the way that companies become agile. And I'm air quoting yeah. like that whole agility yeah. is when you break not only the silos between yeah. de- departments, but break the silos between your, your kind of thought pattern that, so of if, the client. If I, if I sort of, you know, flying yep. up at 50,000 feet, are you not also saying that sales and marketing, yes, have to work closer, but they're, they're, they're much more closely related. Like there's probably a very blurry barrier between both of them. They're, they're really ultimately the same thing. When you, you when you put it together, they shouldn't be in a separate silo. They should be I'll, together. I'll push it even in a perfect world. Yeah. Your sales, your mar- your marketing, your sales, and your customer service are, are one. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because I worked earlier on in my career. I worked. So as... that going lose his job or mine? <laughs> Well, we're working we're together, right? We're all going right? to work together. We're working together. Oh, we're we're trendsetters, Paul. Paul, we're trendsetters. Early on in my career, I worked oh, for a, a financial, a small financial firm, and 
when I came, so I was like kind of the head of marketing in charge of their marketing team. But when I when I came in, what I really liked what they had done is they had created pockets of, of like teams that service clients, like different types of like different personas, let's call them. And so each persona had a dedicated salesperson, marketer, customer service, oh, and it was in finance, so like yeah. their yeah. portfolio manager type yeah. thing. And obviously, like you know, like one marketer had like three, four teams, like yeah. it wasn't that big of a company. But and I thought like you were you were so efficient with that because at the same time you you learned like on the marketing side of things the best practice because you were in the marketing team and you had our weekly meetings or our daily meetings and yeah. stuff like that and you were able to learn what others were doing but then you were able to have a deep knowledge of that persona at the same time but you were also on your weekly calls with your sales team and with the customer service and what's going on in in, in that market or what's going on here what are the challenges okay can you but a, a calm based on, on like some new regulation that came out in that market yep. and stuff like that. So were they based on Lean Six Sigma? Uh, no, I think it was just done. It kind of happened organically okay, within the company. Okay, because that's cool, that's one of the concepts of I have a green belt in Lean. Okay. And essentially that's one of the concepts. Instead of um, taking, you know, the product and moving it, it's making sure that every department is moving with the client as they go through their sales process yeah. instead of making the client go through, you know, mm-hmm. to one, to the next, to the next. So and it, I found cool. it broke down a lot of the traditional yeah. barriers that you see. Us against them. Yeah, and also, like, you know, how, like, typical, like, customer service then has to deal with all the, yeah, the bad ex- exaggerations <laughs> that sales presented. And sales has to deal with all the irrelevant leads that sent through because yeah yeah, but i still have to speak with them on monday morning during our meeting like i'm not gonna you know stretch it or if there wasn't like oh hey jeremy why did you say this to the client now they're expecting that like oh yeah okay i can see how when i said that it it might have been misconstrued i'll get on the phone with them and adjust you know so i found it was it it helped a lot it is very neat yeah so elke i think it's time now to understand what brought you to what you do today yeah so uh, my last job, I was um, heading marketing in 22 countries. I was working for a great organization. I had a great job. I loved what I was doing. Um, but I also, I think, was a entrepreneur at heart, mm-hmm. like or an entrepreneur is what they call it now. That's the cool world. <laughs> uh, but... Isn't an entrepreneur someone who's an entrepreneur within a company? Exactly. Yeah. Like I was doing different stuff yeah. that people were like, why are you doing that? I'm not sure that's a good idea. And I'm like, but there's something there. And then, <laughs> you know, and it would pan out. And But, you know, you're kind of hiding to make sure that you're getting yeah. the right. Um, so then you said you should be a full-on entrepreneur. <laughs> and I said that my daughter was 16 at the time. And it's now or never. Like I also felt like we do consulting, right? Yeah. So, so you had your daughter at 10. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for repeating that part. And um, yeah, so I decided to really, it's now or never. Like I'm at okay. a space in my career that I have enough experience. I've been on executive committees. Yeah. I've you know, worked at a certain level that I feel that I've seen different situations, different industries. It's like either I do it now or I don't. Yeah. It, it felt like a, a now or never type okay. of mm-hmm. thing, and um, I, I quit. Okay. Oh, wow. I quit, and yeah. I just kind of... Did you starve for a while, or... Uh, no, they were very nice, because they're like, well, could you just wait till we find a replacement for you, which is what I did, so there was a transition okay. period between the two, and then I just called different people that I had worked with in the past, and I said, hey, I'm on my own now, and I... It kind of it built from there. It built from there, and that works for a while, right? So you have your 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 network of people mm-hmm. around you, and then you call everybody you know. And it also got to a point where I can give myself a great job mm-hmm. as a consultant, and I could continue doing yeah. that, or I build a company, which okay. is a different. And how long did that take? Um, it took me a good two, three years to, one, understand the difference between the two, because Mm -hmm. at first 
<laughs> I didn't get it. And then after to build something, which is when I went to get my green belt to yeah. really create systems and processes, not only for my business, but with the consulting. And I built all my consulting tools and, and then I said, okay, I need to have people around me. And my idea was to franchise out the model to make yeah. my consulting business standardized and flexible, yeah. right? But to give tools, because I knew how much time it took me to make all yeah. those things to make my life easier. So the idea is to have either a franchising distribution model. We okay. have an office in France that yeah. are using our tools, yeah. our name, and there are a bunch of amazing people doing great yeah. things. And uh, it was, so I'm, I'm started. There you go. I'm going Congratulations. In Thank you. Nice. Awesome. Thank you. There's so that's really interesting because... Um, well, I'll ask you this. Yeah. A lot of people have that thought. A lot of people are entrepreneurs. A lot yeah. of people are in the company doing this, but they they don't jump. What was, if you don't mind me going back to this, what was it that sort of said, I have to do this or I'm going to do this? Like, What was that jump moment? Because a lot of people think about it. So I've got to do this, but they, they get scared. They say, I've got mortgage, I've got bills, wow. I've, got, I've got the insecurity. I'm not sure if this is going to work, you know? Well, um... It was completely impulsive. <laughs> I'd love to have some great like, wise advice. Wise advice, but it was completely impulsive, and I didn't think further than that. Oh really? So you yeah. said, um, the, but, I mean, did you make some kind of calculation no. financially? No. But I think sure I didn't. So on the positive side, I've always had a small house. I have a small car. Okay. Like we. Okay, so you had the financial always, means to do. It. We've always. Tried to live. But you're a small. tall person. So I'm a yeah. tall person, and my husband is tall as me. Like we could no, I don't. <laughs> Just kidding. But I didn't feel like I had that financial burden. Burden. And so. So you didn't become I an entrepreneur re- because you needed the money. It was really a desire. No, now that I am an entrepreneur, I need the money. Okay. Yeah. But uh-huh. it's like it. I didn't think of it that way. Like okay. I honestly, for better or for worse, I didn't think through all that and my first year my goal was just to make my salary okay and was your partner supportive from the start like how important was that yes which is good because he, you know and i'm like somebody who'll jump into ideas and then halfway through i'm like wow i really should i'm looking back and i i should have thought of these okay. things forward yeah. but you don't so i guess that means that you and you just kind of figure it out as you go i don't i think if i would have thought about it Really? I don't think I would have done it. But if I unpackage a bit what you've done, and if I think about like some of the other guests that we have, you know, like I'm starting to notice a few traits, right? So first you had your personal finances in order. Like I think a lot of people like live very high above their means. And so then it becomes very daunting to go out on your own because like the salary you need to match is like close to impossible to get on your own. So I hear that. But I also heard that and maybe it wasn't as planned, but maybe unconsciously had it, how your, your employer can say, well, can you stay on until we find someone? Yeah, right? I've had a safety net. Exactly. I and, I, and, and I noticed a few people that we've had on the, on the podcast. You, she would have done it without the safety net. I know, but yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if like on the unconscious level, you kind of had that, well, they're stuck if I leave. So perhaps it's you know hard what I mean? to know what people think. It's 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 hard, but <laughs> I just say, we need a psychologist to come. Because I mean, like, I'm thinking about myself, and like I I didn't make the choice. Like I lost my lost my job, and so my thought was just like I'm going to find another job. In the meantime, I'm going to find some contracts, and you know I reached out to a whole bunch of people I knew, and I got contracts like right away. I think at some point you kind of know that you can do this. I don't know. It's kind of weird to say. Uh, but I think there's a self-awareness. You, you see, I, I lost my job in 2016, but the whole year before, I was miserable. I had a great job, but I was miserable because I knew that I was an entrepreneur and not not uh, an executive in that company, right? It wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I remember I was actually very happy when I lost a job because that choice had been made immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And I still struggle with the word entrepreneur because I think entrepreneur is... You know, like your your Jeff Benzos, like it's like it's a big thing. But I think there's different definitions of what you want your business yeah. to be yeah. and what size and what. And that's something that I'm starting to understand a bit more as I meet more entrepreneurs. That 
there's different ways to define yeah. that and it's, it's okay. a very wide yeah. range of people right yeah it's a big big box it's a big big box and, and yeah no so on, on that term and i mean i mean you could share as much as you want obviously but uh when you decided to make that shift from like consultant i'm guessing an independent consultant yeah. to running a business having employees and stuff like that like how because obviously hiring an That's employee when I got scared. yeah but That's hiring an employee is different than because being on your own is like you manage your own finances, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm making this month, this much, this month, or I mean, I need to make at least this much per month, and I'm good to go, type of thing. Uh, but hiring somebody is like, well, now I have to assume a salary overhead. and stuff like that, all the overhead. How office? How does the transition happen? Like, did you have again, like, had a because you said it lasted two, three years? Like, did you have like kind of a stockpile? Did you just, you know what, I'm going to figure it out as I go? Well, um, since <laughs> you figured it out, you went. To- <laughs> I did figure it out as I went. But it also became like uh, a quality of life issue. Mm. Like, you know, there's just so many hours in a day, a week that you can do and you can't grow that salary. You can't grow your own salary mm. unless you hire somebody. But if you hire somebody, you have less salary. And it's like kind of that catch 22 of saying, I, me, it was, I can't work these many hours anymore. Mm. Like I need somebody to help yeah. me and I'll take the salary cut to, to, to balance those out. So and you then, hired the, 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 so you hired the employees first, you did what you did, then you created the franchise model. It kind of all happened at the same okay. time because somebody referred me to the, I had the idea and I had talked about it to somebody and they're like, I know somebody who could be interested in that and oh, okay. that have this. So they kind of happened within like a six month period. Okay. Okay, great. That's that's really fascinating. Fab, you said you had a few more questions. Yeah, right you, at the beginning. Um, um, yeah, so there, there there's two things. I've got more questions, but it's going to take us in a different direction. Oh, okay. Um, I'm just looking at the time. But um, so one is like when you were talking about like doing the research, like how to understand your customer and stuff like that. Um, kind of one approach I've taken was like obviously because I don't have all the research tools and stuff like that is I've just gone out on LinkedIn try to identify my ideal type of customer and kind of see what they're posting and what they're talking about. And that's kind of where I get a lot of my insights as to what they quote unquote care about. Um, Is that kind of a similar, like more bare bones approach that like Um, my approach is that was that more bare bones and kind of what you, how you approach it? Well, what we do with our customers is usually they have um, the first thing I'll do, which is the cheapest is look at their database. Let's do a data dump out of your, what are they buying? When are they buying it? There are certain cycles of how they buy. You know, let's just develop from your own data that you have, which mm-hmm. established companies usually have like, tons of them that are just sitting there that are not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And then if they're of that size, that's where the AI tools come in. Because sitting down and doing that at a level of, let's say you have like, 10, 15, 20, 30 million in sales, like your pool of people to go through those LinkedIn's are, 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 right, I mean, yeah. the matrix of how much time versus revenue it's going to cost doesn't make sense. Whereas if you get tools that just go listen for it, mm-hmm. it becomes a lot easier. So Absolutely. that's where we went to get in data and we work with different partners to make sure that we could get data. So sometimes you're SEO <clears throat> analysis, what are people looking through? So that's how we get that data in, in those terms, because other than the analysis of the data dump of your own sales data, it's not, it's humanly possible, but not cost efficient gotcha. to do it in, in that way. That works great, I find, when for salespeople yeah. to who you're, let's map out your network. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, I guess I want to come back to something that I, I, I struggle with myself because I'm not a hardcore marketer, but you guys are both marketing people. And I, this is the conversation I want to hear in you too is what is, what is the role of marketing as a whole, like sort of summary and how do you guys see the different roles of marketing, whether it's sales marketing, whether it's branding marketing, I've often asked Brad, uh, Brad, what are we going to do? <laughs> often, often asked Fab, like what's the role of, of, of branding and then sales marketing. So what are the different roles in marketing and how do you see that in, 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 well, in today's uh, business culture? 
No, I want you to. I want to hear you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You don't know what I yes. yes. I've okay. heard him before. Okay, so. <laughs> what He's just is, trying to test to see if okay. I know what I'm talking about or not. So, exactly. your, your question, just I'll recap it. What is the role of marketing and as a sales? Whole. I mean, as a whole. Example, let's say I'm okay. someone who. Sorry, I just put a pressure. Okay, so what is the. So, the what's the role of marketing? Level? Top level marketing, okay. and then how does it. What are the different roles that we do, and, yep. and how does it tie okay. into today's business world? My perception of what yes. marketing is, is marketing's role is to be the voice of the customer. Marketing's role is to so understand the customer and bring that voice in of who your target market is and, and bring that knowledge into the company. Okay. Who is the market? Who are my potentials? Okay. And how does that fit in essentially to my product offer? Okay. So that's their ultimate goal, right? That's okay. that's not to a deliverable. Truly, to truly understand, to truly understand, understand the customer. Yeah, because that creates agility. It creates an ability to be one step ahead of your customer, of your competition. Okay. So that's what they should, the output of everything that they they should be doing. Is should to, come from there. Should, should be the customer. They have to understand the customer better than anybody else because how are you going to do R&D? You could do R&D on something that the customer doesn't care about. Okay. Right? So that's a bit the growth hacking is the cool what about term like that. Companies that invent things where you have no customer data because you're just going on a whim. Do you still need to do that sort of basic research? Let's say, like Steve Jobs before he created the iPod or the iPhone, like was he just sort of putting his finger in the air? Did he just have a really good feeling, or do you think he'd done that in intrinsically? Well, I don't know. I don't. I'm not him, but there's some people that have just the nose and the, the instinct. Yeah. yeah, but at the same time, that instinct is based on understanding mm -hmm. your environment. Like yeah. there, there are people who are just naturally attuned to yeah. it, and there's people who just need to sit down and see the data. I, mean, the data. I think, right. yeah, I think at a level, like, again, mm -hmm. I'm not Steve Jobs either, right? But I think at that level, people who work with a lot of smaller companies or who are a smaller company completely misunderstand how much data and insights those massive companies have access yeah. to. So mm -hmm. if I'm building computers and I'm noticing that, like three quarters of the user base is using it for music, then, and at the same time I'm seeing on the fringe some cheap MP3 players yeah. going up. Well, or, I mean, or but some, not only MP3. Or Walkmans. Yeah. <laughs> like it was uh, so, Napster. So, so what right? you're, he was yeah. looking at Napster yeah. free download. So what you're actually like, saying is he did do that. He, well, I, I mean, no, but maybe he, not in an official way. Not in an official way, but maybe was, did, but who knows? Uh, who knows? But um, and the other thing, what's the difference between marketing and branding? Well, how does some, branding, how fit, does into, branding yeah. fit into marketing? So if you understand your customer and you understand what you as a company does really well, the role of branding is to make sure that what makes you unique is communicated to that segment yeah. of the people who want you and that they understand. We don't care if everybody else doesn't understand, but the people that you're targeting and that you understand and you want to speak mm -hmm. to that they understand your message and your value add. And that's what branding should do. Then there's all, you know, the visuals, how are you going to take that into tools? But the brand is the articulation of what you do that matches the intersection between what the customer wants and what you do. And that's okay. the branding. You've actually demystified it for me. Because sometimes I look at these large companies that do branding and and some of it I find is brilliant. Other times I'm thinking, wow, they're really off mark on that one. And I often wonder how they get there. Is it just some creative thought that gets there? And I'm wondering those who do well, like the Nikes of this world, right? They, uh, you know, whether you like them or not, whether you agree with, with how they, yep. they build the product, I think they've been very good at branding and, and, and putting Well, I think they're very good at understanding a market. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you they understand. are the market. They, they are the market. market. They, they created, created that market. They, created they were created by runners, you know? So I think... You know, I think I think in some situations the branding comes maybe more naturally where you when you are the customer, like if you know, in his in the Nike case, like he was a runner, right? He he was a yeah. he ran in, in college, he like he was the market he in knew a way. What was going on. So right? let's take it much smaller think, for a second. So we talk about branding, I, I you know, I've talked about Apple and Nike. Okay, but let's say a smaller company, someone that's B two B, like I guess the branding is way more attached to data accumulated at that point. Right? Because your branding needs to be attached to 
who that persona is and what they're going to be enjoying. So that makes a lot more sense. Oftentimes what I've seen when the branding, because there's some clients, there's some entrepreneurs who have that importance or that visibility and they're very marketing oriented. Others less so just because of, of who the individual is. But oftentimes if you're competing on price, you're competing on price constantly, constantly, constantly. It's because people don't see your value well. Right, you're a commodity, right? You're a commodity. <clears throat> Chiquita bananas are a commodity, yeah. but they position themselves. As, you know, there's certain brands even... I like their little stickers. Exactly. <laughs> right? There's the frozen stickers yeah. on it. Like, they've, they've decommoditized <laughs> a banana. <laughs> right? By positioning yeah. themselves, by showcasing their value add, there's the dole pineapple, yeah. there's... Right? They... It's a commodity, yeah. but they've been able to understand what makes us different and communicate that value yeah. add. And if you can do that, yeah. that's 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 what branding should do. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And the rest, the others are functions of, yeah. right? And the first, after understanding your customer, is segmenting your customer. Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, you get into the transactional stuff of lead generation and advertising and campaigns. But they're strategic in a operational way whereas what we were talking about before is is very related to strategic planning mm-hmm. where where do you want to go as a company yeah who do you want to talk to yeah exactly how much money of how much money do you want to make of, out of that market segment yeah and so on the b2b side of things are you seeing that there's kind of um merging of different activities like you're talking about the lead generation and the brand like we obviously just talked about the branding are you noticing kind of that there's a push towards emerging like where the lead generation is also kind of the branding or the branding is kind of also the lead generation or are you still seeing kind of a very siloed approach to marketing um i think they don't think about that Like, I I think a lot of B2B companies haven't necessarily had to think about it. Gotcha. And and now they do, just because that customer, their buyer is changing, and now they have to think about it. Their buyers are, like, I'm just looking at Paul beside has his computer, his tablet, and his phone, right? That is the modern B2B buyer. And 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 hand hand sanitizer. They're looking at data in a different way. The cons- you know, the B2B buyer is buying differently, and now they're like, catch up. And when I was saying, you know, like our role is to help companies reinvent their customer experience, that's about what it is. It's about reinventing that relationship and kind of remerging the the who we are. So where the customers come in, it depends on their problem. Mm. So if they're looking to grow sales, then they'll be more in a CRM data extraction going. Whereas if they have a competitor pushing on them or they need to enter into a new market or they're looking to change how their channels are working, right? So they're a B2B, but they end up selling to a consumer, right? Mm -hmm. So B2B to C, and they have to influence now that sales to up the entire channel then they have to look at their branding becomes important and how we speak to the customer so it depends kind of where who they are in their market and where they are in their stage of and their definition of marketing and branding Mm -hmm. but if it's a high volume business with your databases and your crm it's super important because that's it. I was asking. Obviously, like we, you work with a whole bunch of different clients. I have a much more, you know, focused niche, or in my experience too. I just I find in the B two B space specifically, like I think a lot of marketers focus on the lead generation side of things. And I think when you just the ones I've seen that just focus on that just are falling flat on their face. And I'm so and, happy to hear you. Say yeah, that. And and like going back to what we were talking about at the beginning yeah. and the CRMs and the social CRMs, and I think. That's what's happening where these leads are being generated for sales because it's, again, looked also maybe on a quantitative side, like sales leads needs 400 leads a week, right? So, oh, well, it leads a lead, right? And and I think they're completely neglecting the branding side of things. And when they don't, the branding is about, oh, you know, like what the website looks like. Yeah. So let me me ask you something very, very, I, I don't know the answer. I really don't. 
Um, let's look at a small, mid-sized client <coughs> who, who offers a product that's almost a commodity, yep. right? Someone who is offering a product that's almost a commodity, and he's, you know, there's, let's say, uh, hundreds of competitors out there. How do you brand in that case when you really don't have anything separating you other than you have a different supplier? You know, let's take, a, you know, mobile phones or something, you know, uh, or let's say it was deregulated in another market, like in Europe. So you, you know, you can have any. So how do you differentiate yourself there? How do you go yep. and get that? Like what, what do you do there? It's I think it's easier when you're large and you can yep. really, you know, command a lot of money and really yep. change your focus. But what do you do when you're a small guy who, who's just surviving, right? Yeah, and it's kind of related also to what you were saying is people are looking for a quick fix, and mm -hmm. those types of things offer that quick fix. And what often is unique to you even if you're selling a commodity in that b2b relationship is a lot what you do paul it's the relationship and it's the customer experience and why should i work with you versus somebody else and that's often related to untangible items within the brand aspects they're reliable they're fast they're nice they do what they say they're going to do right these are all customer experience type of focuses that are intrinsically built into the brand's DNA, their culture, their values, and the way that the team manages their human people within, okay. right? Yeah, and human their human resources yeah. and their salespeople, and that's where the culture comes into it. And that oftentimes, like, who are you going to deal with as a B2B supplier? Somebody who always gives you on time that are nice, that do what they say they're going to do? Or the other guy that's maybe 5% cheaper? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And oftentimes that's something that they can yeah. rely on systematic. It's hard though. It's hard for a business because it means that you have to invest in your people <laughs> to, yeah. to, to, to rechange some of your ways of thinking and, and approaching yep. it, but it does create a strong competitive advantage. Yes. But I find that, that nobody can beat. Right. Yeah. Right. But I find like companies that are, you know, some B two B companies are, are that are like already doing that. I find like I, I find that the I mean some like let's say they don't invest in yeah. employees and then. The, like coming up with a branding and not like it's like, well, we're, <laughs> we're a revolving door, you know, like yeah. it's like, that's not what customers want to hear. But I find like companies that do invest in their employees and they do believe in the value of their employees and their employees have been there for a long time and are continuously growing. I think it's, um, I, I think it's just a matter of, of the, I think where a lot of smaller companies, but let me they put it this way. They talk about it. They don't talk about it, and they, yeah. I think, especially they don't do podcasts. They don't do podcasts <laughs> but they have a hard time disassociating, not necessarily like transitioning from the phase of like, I'm a small company yeah. and I've had to run, and all my thing is about revenue and this and that. And they have a hard time looking back and saying, you know what, I haven't grown that much over the last five years. Like from year one to five, I grew a lot, but then from five to 10, I haven't grown that much. Why? You know what I mean? Like they're still kind of stuck on that thing. Like they believe in the employees, they believe in that, but they're just stuck. And and I think that's where well, that awareness comes in. Of at that point, it's also a leadership change where the entrepreneur is no longer uh, he he has to change his role within the business, delegate more onto mm -hmm. his team. So that's changing structures like mm -hmm. the governance of uh, governance of way of working that that's um often related and yeah but the companies that had the idea of the branding and the importance of the brand is i think those are different issues in my perception of governance and how you're going to manage that growth and keep going and letting go yeah, I think what it was letting go and and taking the role of a president versus the role of an entrepreneur. Yeah, is that's where is, I was going with it. It's, it's yeah. just like the there's a, a switch that needs to happen. Yeah. Like so, when you're talking about like how I'm a small business and how do I do it? I think before that switch happens, where I'm an entrepreneur versus like I'm a president and I need to look at the long term yeah. view of my company, no longer the short term. Like I need to I need to build this month. We need to build this month. Uh, I think that's that's usually where the trick happens. Is that 
they're not able to do that switch Switching. between I built my company and I had to worry about the day to day because I had yep. salaries to pay and mm-hmm. this and that. But at some point, when you're just struggling, yeah. when you're kind of growing a bit after a while, it's kind of like, well, you, I have the right people in the right role, and yeah. I in the right role. Exactly. Yeah. That's a tough one because I was just saying to a client last week, I said, when you start as a company, you adjust the rules to the individuals you have. Yep. Mm-hmm. When you're a certain size, you 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 form the company and you say, well, this you know, Fab's got these qualities, Elky's got these qualities, and I've got these qualities, so you'll do this, this, and that, you'll do that, yep. that, and that, and I'll do uh, this, this, and that, you know? Yep. And, and that's important, but what you get to certain size and you want to grow more, you need to be more strategic in creating scalable uh, scalable business and a lot of people don't go there and they, they don't create that the, those that scalable team that's going I've got several clients are in that problem right now they, they've hit that, that that glass ceiling because they're incapable of transferring or creating a method that goes through there yeah, so I mean, it's I changing know. paradigms yeah it's changing paradigms. paradigms and that's tough because yeah. you've gotten to this point by doing one thing <laughs> and now you totally need to shift yeah. and create processes that are going to go forward and enable you to be a lot larger. And that's why, like, we've spoken about this before, I think where it becomes easier to do that shift, I found, just from what I've seen, is companies that invest in marketing early on. So, mm-hmm. yes, I'm just starting. Yes, I have rev- I have salaries to pay. Yes, I have this. But then that switch, I find, over the time, over time becomes easier, where it's like, okay, now that my sales team is set up properly, and so because I'm already doing the marketing side of something and the branding and this and that, it's not ideal because I maybe have one person well, that's doing it 50% of the time. A strong brand is always like an asset. Like yeah. It is, uh, it's not on the books, right? It's not, but if you want to sell your company, then your brand does have that. And having that um, investment in your brand and investment doesn't necessarily mean huge websites or advertising campaigns. It's really those are our are, are articulations or expressions of it. But really knowing who your client is and being able to communicate to that niche is a huge asset in terms of a leverage to accelerate growth or differentiate yourself in a commodities yeah yeah mm-hmm. and and would you say that uh you know, a lot of people talk about mission vision and it's very important but isn't that to me that's you know you say that sales and marketing are one but i think brand mission and vision are the same thing yep. like they, they need they live together and i think the values brand is what people see but internally it's mission and vision yeah but your brand, but your vision your values <clears throat> drive all yeah, of that yeah. your values your, your, your values, values your mission your vision drives yep. all of that yeah they are just a uh Either an external or an internal expression of, of what you guys do. Yeah, yeah. It's a business. So, guys, we, we have to cut it short because okay. I have another appointment after this. Cool. But this is great. I think but that was might, a good end. We, yeah. might, we, yeah. might, we might have to do another podcast. We might have to. This was fun. Have to do Thank fun. you guys Did for you inviting like me. How was your first it. podcast? It was not as nerve-wracking as I thought it would be. <laughs> it was really fun. Right. Thank you, guys. It. Thank you very much. Thanks, Fab. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you.